I hope that encouraged you as much as it encouraged me. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12 in verses 1 and 2, and we'll get there kind of towards the end of the message. Uh, But this morning, we end our series called Why Not Now? And I hope that these messages have provoked thought, have encouraged your hearts, and have seen you really kind of ask that question on every front. And this morning, uh, we're going to talk about prioritizing your relationship with the church. Why not now prioritize my relationship with the church? And so I love the fact that it's raining, it's cold, it's nasty, but look around. It's full in here. Listen, so we're preaching a little bit to you, but we're preaching more to those that are online. Say hello. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, so think about it. What are some of the places that you regularly go? How many of you have an iPhone and as soon as you get in your car, your iPhone tells you where you're supposed to go? So for me, every morning when I get in my vehicle, my phone tells me 1202 West U.S. Highway 80, which is the address of the church. And so whenever I get in there, I go, man, it knows me. Now, this concerns me on a lot of fronts with Apple, but for this morning's message, it's kind of an encouraging thing that it knows where I'm going to go, where I'm going to be. And listen, your phones probably have the same thing. I love that in the evening when I get in my car, uh, if I'm not going to Savannah Christian to pick up the girls, usually it tells me that I'm going home at 4430 Highway 17. And I'm sitting there going, man, praise the Lord. I love being able to go home. And it's kind of an encouraging thing. But when you think about where those coordinates are, where is the place that you like to frequent the most? For some, it's the place of a restaurant. Now think about this. I typically don't talk about food in the early part of the sermon, but I'm going to this morning, and so you'll just have to deal with the hunger pains for about 20 minutes, maybe 30. Amen? 40 if you're lucky. One amen. Good. Um, The foods or the the restaurants that you choose. Now, I, I was doing a little bit of research and a little bit of study, and there's reasons, psychological reasons, why people return to restaurants. See how this kind of lays out for you. There's three things that the food is excellent. If you were to go this afternoon to the place that the food is excellent, where would you go? I can't believe Carrie Hilliard's. We're going to get to Carrie Hilliard's here in just a second. Ruth's Chris, right? Outback. Carrie Hilliard. I can't even say it there. I'm sorry. But if you were going to go to somewhere where the food was just truly excellent and you wanted good food, where would you go? The second that kind of labels this is that the ambiance is nice. For some of you, you can Google what ambiance is. It's Valentine's Day. You might need to learn what ambiance is uh, by Tuesday. But think about this. We actually grew up in, or my wife grew up in Savannah. I've been in Savannah pretty much uh, my whole adult life. Uh, The downtown atmosphere and going to different places. Uh, So Friday night was this rare occasion where both of our kids ended up somewhere else. And so my wife and I happened to be downtown. And one of our favorite places to go is Crystal Beer Parlor. There's very... Very few burgers in this area that are better than what that is. But the ambiance is nice. It's this old, eclectic brick and all these things. Uh, for us, my family's favorite place to go on, uh, on, a, on a Saturday morning is Huey's. Now, anybody been to Huey's? Anybody experienced beignets 
And if you're not from the north and you don't know what Eggs Benedict are, Hueys will school you on it and teach you. It's the best in Savannah. But you get to watch as the ships go by in the morning, as the people are walking by. It's this wonderful place where we like to go. Now, here's an interesting thing, which is the third, and this probably falls into most of us. But we also go to where the price is reasonable, right? There's quick places that we go, and I am sad to say that Chick-fil-A has more of my money than any other restaurant. I mean, just, it's crazy how many times. My kids, if you ask them nine out of ten times, where do they want to go? Chick-fil-A. Man, I love God's chicken, but can we get a break? I mean, it just, it's constantly, and then for us, kind of that secondary place is Subway because of convenience. Where you live, where I live, it's pretty much the only stop on the way home, and so we end up there a lot also. But I want you to think, of the places that you frequent the most, is church a part of that? When you think about the place that you go to on a regular basis, maybe church is a family, a, a family uh, tradition, maybe it's a sporadic place to attend, maybe it's a place that you go on Christmas and Easter, but there's a genuine problem with what's taking place is that we have programmed a generation that it is not as important as it used to be. You think about this, if you grow up in a home, and listen, I grew up in a pastor's home, so my, my experience with church was you are there every Sunday that the doors are open. Listen, I have a pastor friend of mine who had a son, and his son went to his dad and said, Dad, I'm sick. And the pastor told his son, then church is the best place for you, son. Listen, that's the generation that I grew up in. That's the understanding of what I grew up in. But listen, if anything gets in the way of church now, church is not the top priority for most people to attend. So I've looked at this, and I want to do a deep dive with you this morning. And it starts with the premise of a quote. What one generation believes, the second generation assumes, and the third generation denies. Catch that. Because this is what's happening in our culture. What one generation believes, the second generation assumes, and the third generation denies. And you think about this, if you go to your great-grandparents or you go to your grandparents, one of the most fun things for me was to go to church with my grandfather. Now, this was a completely different experience because he had peppermints and butterscotch. Does anybody remember those days of church? I rarely remember a Sunday morning sermon without hearing somebody wrap that wrapper open. Does anybody remember this? And it was the most... Uh, and I love the fact that my grandfather, God love him, he fell asleep during every service. I mean, just, it would be funny to me to sit there with my grandfather and go, there he goes, there he goes, there he goes. But there was nothing that we would be doing on a Sunday morning other than going to church. I think about this as the second generation assumes this, that it's been passed down to us, that we just assume that regular church attendance should be a priority. We don't really know why. 
And so instead of studying in and finding out why this is such an important part of our life, we just kind of assume that we should go there. Listen, the past generation is kind of that assumption generation that just kind of looks at it and says, well, maybe we should go. Our parents went, our grandparents went. It's something that's in our blood or in our DNA, and maybe we should be a part of this. But the third generation is the amazing generation that denies this. And I think that there's a reason as to why this takes place. When we don't explain the importance of the places that we frequent to our kids, they no longer think it's important to us. So they begin to redefine what is important. And listen, forgive me for kind of touching on some, uh, uh, some tough areas. Listen, we as a culture have redefined the value of sports. When you think about how important sports are and the fact that travel club or whatever it is that you're a part of. Now in our area, oddly enough, there is wrestling that takes place at the same slot as a Sunday morning church. You think and you go, man, when I was growing up, nobody had anything on Wednesday nights or on Sundays. It was off limits. Does anybody remember these times? Listen, it's tough because now we have so many different competing agendas. So I want you to understand what one generation believes, the second generation assumes, and the third generation denies. So I ask you, where are you at in this life cycle? And I would tell you that we are in the middle of a seismic, massive cultural shift. And if you can't see how divided our country is, how divided our people are, you have no TV in your house. It's amazing the division that continually takes place. And so listen, we as a church, this is an important place to be. Thank you, one. This is an important part. And listen, this morning I'm going to do a deep dive to help you understand why it's so important. It's interesting, if you love history and you love the understanding of history, there's a few authors that predicted kind of the demise of of culture. George Orwell in his book, 1984, which was written in 1949, he predicted that the pursuit of power would be our downfall. I want you to think about that. In his time period, in his understanding, he saw people moving into power that probably shouldn't have been there. He said the, the, the pursuit of being a powerful people is going to be the downfall to us. Aldous Huxley wrote a, wrote a book called Brave New World in 1932. And he claimed that the pu- pursuit of pleasure would be the downfall of our country, downfall of our society. During this same time period, one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, wrote a book called That Hideous Strength. And his prediction was this, that the pursuit of human perfection would be our downfall. I want you to think with me. What do you think would be the downfall of us as a people. 
If we were to diagnose this, and listen, I would contend something a little bit different than what these individuals said, but I would tell you that our main problem lies within the church and the importance of it. So if I were to diagnose our spiritual condition, our spiritual problem, we don't have to look any further than 2 Timothy. Paul addresses this to a young preacher in his second letter, and he clarifies to them what would be the demise of us. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3 and 4, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Listen to this. But have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Listen to the result. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It's crazy that we can look at history, but we need to look no further and find scripture that lays this out to us. So let me dive into this for just a few minutes. Where Paul is telling us the time is coming, I would tell you that the time is here. People right now do not want to hear truth. They only want to hear what pleases their ears. Listen, I I remember growing up and hearing this message on a regular basis, but the reality is that something has monumentally changed in our culture. Do you know that you can find somebody to agree with you anywhere you look? One of my favorites, Kyrie Irving, names this statement. And he claims on an interview on live TV, he says, the world is flat. And he later comes back and he, said, and he apologizes and he says, look, I went down a rabbit hole so deep that I began to believe for truth what I was continually watching. I think for us as a generation, We have to desire somebody to tell us the truth rather than what we want to hear. Let me give you an illustration of a sign. It's a subjective understanding for us. When we see this sign, we say, what it says is this, right lane closed ahead. Now, for the common person, we would look and we would see that sign and go, what do we need to do? We need to get in the left lane. But society reads this sign this way. Right lane might be closed ahead. So just stay in your lane and merge at the last second if you have to. It's crazy. The truth is on the left side. That says the right lane is closed. And you go, maybe it's not. Maybe the sign guy is lying to us. 
Or maybe you're like me and you want to get around all of the traffic. And you want everybody to see that Pooler Bible sticker on the back so that they might get invited to church. And then you cut over at the very end. (laughs) Maybe the sign hit too close to home for me. I don't know. (laughs) We got to work on win amens. That's next, next week's message. But it's crazy how much things have changed. And that our main problem is that somebody will tell us what we want to hear rather than what is true. Look, this is no, you don't have to look any further than what's taking place in schools with students, in work scenarios. And they're turning away from truth and wandering into a myth. We're living in a time period that denies that there is truth whatsoever. And in fact, the only truth that they hold to this days is that there is no truth. So what do we do? How do we begin to change and reshape a culture? How do we begin to have an impact where everybody is trying to turn away from truth and how do we change it? Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm only 45 years old and I hope that I have at least 30 years left on this earth. And I want to see my kids continue to grow up, but I am burdened for what my kids are going to grow up into. So let me share with you the solution given in Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I tell you, Scripture lays out this understanding for us. He says, we have to stand firm on the confession of our hope. This means that we do not waver. Look, it's so tiring seeing believers flip-flop back and forth to we're going to regularly attend. This is who we are. This is our church. We are going to grow spiritually to this. Ah, there's so many other things going on and we just don't know and maybe we just need to take a break from church and maybe we need to reassess. Please listen. The world is watching Every time you don't hold fast to the confession of what Christ has done in your life. And they're seeing it over and over and over. Love what he says. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And one of the things that I absolutely love is when somebody challenges me to love somebody more. Man, imagine if we would spend our days thinking, how could I love that brother in Christ? How could I encourage that sister in Christ? How could I genuinely make their life better? 
Instead of going, I don't like what she has on. I don't like the way his hair looks. Can you believe he wore that to church? Look, the reality is that when we come together, we are here to stir each other up for love and good works. Let me dig into this in verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together. Now you say, Pastor, that's a subjective verse. (laughs) I'd go, I would love to buy you lunch and talk through this. Because the implication of what he's sharing is the Jewish custom is that Saturday was the Sabbath. And that it was culturally known that nothing else would take place except for worship. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And I'll be honest with you. As I was reading this passage, I think some have become many in our culture. But encouraging one another. And he says, all the more as you see the day coming. When we attend church on a regular basis, it's a reminder that truth does exist. Look, you can be in a job and you can be in a scenario where nobody is going to tell you the truth, but I promise you, as long as I am your pastor, the truth of Scripture is going to continually challenge you. It's a reminder to us that we're not filled with the news that surrounds us. It's a constant reminder to us of what marriage and family relationships should be. It's a reminder that when you look around and you see other people going to church and worshiping together, that we are not alone in this truth. But I want you to understand, we don't just gather here to stay here. We gather here so that we're stronger when we're sent out. It's basketball season, and so this illustration really kind of fits. I get the privilege of coaching seventh grade girls basketball. And one of the things that I've had to learn is that there's sometimes my girls are tired, sometimes they're losing focus, sometimes something is taking place where we need to call a timeout. When the timeout is called, we're gathered together and I bring them close and I reiterate what, we're, what our purpose is and how we're supposed to do it. But listen, as much as I wish the timeout would last longer sometimes, we have to go back out on the court and execute and play. Listen, Sunday morning should be that time out where we come together, where we focus, that we prepare, that we're ready to be sent out to do exactly what God has intended for us. So this morning, there's a declaration that I want to make from Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 in the second part. And I love what scripture lays out here. He says, I will build my church. Get this. This is not our church. This is God's church. The responsibility of building it is upon him. 
but he gives this stark warning. And if we just ended there where we said, I will build my church, the church would say amen and we would be excited and we would go, man, praise God, he's building the church. But then he gives us this stark warning right immediately after it. He says, and the gates of hell will not or shall not prevail against it. Why does he say that? Why does, he, why does he kill that? He wants us to understand that when we leave these doors, we are at war. It's not easy. Look, so many things have been changed where Christianity is this easy thing to be a part of. And listen, I don't know that in our generation, it's not going to be exiled or cast out. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a believer in China right now? But he reminds us that his church will prevail. It will not lose the battle in this world. But it also reminds us that we are in an offensive mindset. We are in a fight for people every time we leave this place. That we're in a battle with Jesus on our side to seek and to save the lost. And if you don't think Satan's going to attack you when you take a stand and you try to share the message of Christ with somebody, you are sadly misguided. You are fighting against the devil on every front when you share his name. I was listening to a sermon on this and the the pastor said these phrases and I thought they were just crucial to this message. The reason that some of you feel like you're fighting the gates of hell is that you are. Do you realize that? Every time we go out, we are at battle. When you go to teach in your classroom, you are fighting against the gates of hell. Look, Satan wants to attack kids. He wants to draw them away and entice them in temptation over and over and over. And you as the teacher in that classroom should be constantly fighting against that. Have you ever felt like you were at a workplace You felt like what you're dealing with is something deeper than selfishness and greed at work? The reality is, it is. And you are battling against the gates of hell. This last one hits way too close. The reason that you feel like there's a war going on for your children's heart every time they leave your household is because there is. Do you realize Satan's attack on kids is rampant? If he can distract you as a teenager, set the course of your life and the trajectory of your life off course, he wins. It takes a battle for us to stay focused on Christ and continue to live for him. Some of the priorities that we learned in COVID is that time and place matter. 
I remember in the early stages of everything kind of shutting itself down and beginning to be remote with school and all of these different things beginning to take place where place after place after place is shutting down. And it was kind of weird for like two weeks, you would just wear your pajamas and not go anywhere, sit on the back porch and just go, man, this is really weird. And then you got to a point where you go, I'm bored. Man, I kind of want to go get something to eat. I kind of want to do something. I kind of, if you're like me, you want to be around people other than just your wife and your kids. Man, how are we going to bring this together? And I would tell you that those same priorities of time and place matter for church also. Do you know that the only way that you get here on Sunday is to set it as a priority through the week? A million things can happen to distract you. One of my greatest fears as a pastor is when I wake up and it's raining on Sunday morning. I pray and I ask God and I'm like, don't you control this? Why the day? Shouldn't sun, Sunday be just beautiful and just where we come to church and we walk out and the sun is shining just a little bit brighter? And then he quickly reminds me, Jeff, if they had something else to do, they may do it. <laughs> so now I pray that it rains every Sunday. Just kidding. <laughs> A million distractions can keep you from being here. But can I applaud you this morning? You showed up because it's a priority to you. Let me dig into this. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, we see something called a living sacrifice. I love what he says. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, a lot of times when we think about Christianity, we think of a, a simple, easy, the, the bare minimum of what we could possibly contribute. But Paul lays this out very clearly that our responsibility is to present ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And then he defines this. He doesn't make it easy because now he says holy and acceptable to God. And it comes with this caveat of understanding for us because now we have to know what God's expectations are. It's interesting because we all have different expectations within our household. And if we were to hang around with different places, different people, we would understand their expectations really quick and we would either begin to live up to that expectation or we would find a new home. <laughs> what he's laying out here for us is that we are to live a holy and acceptable life to the Lord. So it comes with this different measuring stick for us, if you will. Because now we don't get to compare and say, well, as long as my life is better than their life, I'm good. 
As long as I don't sin as much as him or as much as her, now the standard is changed. It's funny how scripture doesn't lay out and say, as long as you're better than Jeff Hubbard, you're guaranteed in the kingdom of heaven. It says our standard is measured by what God requires of us. Listen now he continues. Holy and acceptable God, to which is your spiritual worship. And he says, here's the things that will get you off track. Here's the things that will keep you from being of the standard of what God requires of us. He says, do not be conformed to this world. And then he says a word. But be transformed. Oh, I don't know about you, but transformation takes a process. It is a work. It is something that is hard to do. Anybody still dieting? Man, it is tough. It is tough to continually tell yourself no over and over and over again. It is tough to transform the way that you think what is going on in your mind. It is tough to transform and to see people through a completely different lens. But you know what a big role in the transformation process is? Being a part of God's church. I can tell you person after person after person who has been transformed by the saving power of Christ. I can tell you story after story after story of somebody that was floundering in life, wasting away, but finally took serious the scriptures that God has laid out in their life, and they grew monumentally. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And he says this, by the renewal of your mind. He says, constantly pour truth into your mind. Renew it daily that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. The misconception that has been laid out before the church so many times is that God requires nothing of you. I would tell you that salvation is free. Trusting the Lord is absolutely the greatest gift that God has ever given to us. But it doesn't end there. For years, people have said, as long as you trust Christ, as long as you accept Christ, you're guaranteed eternity in heaven with him. And listen, I don't tell you anything different, but I tell you the standard is not just accepting Christ. The standard is once you've accepted Christ, you grow in him. That your life is continually transformed and that the world that is trying to entice you and draw you in, that's trying to get you to conform to how it thinks is pushed aside.
reality for us to think on. Our purpose is to continually charge the gates of hell and reach the community around us with the gospel message. That's our challenge. Let me give a little bit of an illustration. It's not a bad thing to go to the lake one weekend. But when you go there every weekend, that will equip you for charging the gates of hell about as well as a squirt gun will. We've misplaced our priorities so much. I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. And listen, as much as I would tell you those are great things, they should not replace the regular gathering of the church to worship and to continually grow spiritually. Let me close with this. One of the things that I'm told a lot of times When I invite somebody to church, there's this misconception that's out there. It says, I can be a follower of Christ and the church is not important to me. I don't like the church. It's man-made. The people are hypocritical. The people there, the people there, the people there. And listen, I hear everything that is said. And it's kind of summed up this way. I love Jesus but I hate the church. Anybody heard that? Man, it's something that we hear on a regular basis and sometimes we kind of think and go, man, and listen, we reach a whole different generation of people. Some of you have been hurt severely in church and I am so sorry that that has taken place and I hope that it never takes place here. I want to give you kind of an understanding because Christ sees the church differently than that. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 through 27, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Listen to what he says. And gave himself up for her. This is the definition of him putting, uh, the definition of love is putting others' needs above their own. He gave up himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with his word, so that he might present, what does he say? The church, the ecclesia, the called out body of believers, the individuals here that are followers of Christ that he may present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. One of the things that we've forgotten is how much Christ loves the church, the ecclesia, the called out body of believers. And so for us to say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church is a little bit like this. If you come up to me and say, Jeff, man, I love you. You're a great guy, but I hate your wife. Do you know what I'm going to do to you? 
the same illustration is given for Christ. Let me challenge you with this as we close. I am truly thankful for what the Lord is doing at Pooler Bible Church. I mean, it is amazing to see what the Lord's doing here. But it also comes with a little bit of fear and responsibility as your pastor. Because when the Lord's at work as much as he is in this church, Satan's attack is coming. If I don't prepare you for what's to come, listen, there are many great churches that continue to grow and continue to spiritually reach people and continue to make an impact in their community. And as quickly as they grow, they failed. So I tell you this morning, if you've adopted the mindset that you're not at war against the gates of hell, it's time to change your mindset, to prepare yourself every day to make sure that you are prepared to be the follower of Christ, that you are the living sacrifice that he's called us to be. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2, the interesting part that he starts with is I appeal. Now, if you understand that term, it's I beg of you, I plead with you, I appeal with you to please do this. Is your pastor somebody that prays over you on a weekly basis? Somebody that reads scripture and loves to present these messages to you? I appeal to you this morning to make the church a priority in your life. Please. I've been a part of this, uh, the church, ever since I was a kid. I believe my first Sunday after being born was in a nursery. Probably because my mom needed a break, but I was there. We've allowed culture to change the view of the church. And it's not the standard that God has required of us. Please, let everything else be a bystander. Let sports, activities, everything else be less important than the church. Make the church a priority in your life. I appeal to you this morning. If everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes this morning. The reality of what we deal with on a regular basis. So we have to question everything. So this morning... I ask you to question and ask, answer this question. Why not now make the church the priority in my life?
immediately as you answer that question in your mind, in your head, there's a thousand different things that are telling you not to. I'll tell you, none of those are the voice of the Lord. You've seen scripture this morning of what it means to the church or what the church means to Christ himself. It's a fitting reminder for us at Valentine's Day that our job as husbands is to love our wives in this exact same way. For some of you, the reason why it's hard to love your wife is because you don't love the church the way Christ loved the church. One of the things that's very hard for me to find is a godly man who loves the Lord and lives for Christ and doesn't love his wife the right way. They don't go together. So I ask you this morning, why not now make the church the greatest priority in your life? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you humbled and thankful for the way that you love us. Father, knowing that you're at work in this church in a great way. Father, may we continually be reminded that we are at war. That we will prevail with you. Now, Father, we're aliens in this world. And then the mission and the calling of what you've called us to live like and how you've called us to live is present in everything. Father, may we not be conformed to this world, but may we be transformed by the renewing of, of our mind, continually living for you. Father, I pray for me that I would be a living sacrifice, that nothing would waver in my heart and in my life. May I bring glory and honor to you in everything that I do. Father, may I prepare myself for battle every time I walk out into the community. May we as a church adopt this same mindset that we're continually at war, that everything around us is trying to conform our mind to think like the world. May this place be a place that continually speaks truth, that continually transforms our hearts and our minds, and continues to renew us as we go out to battle. Father, I love you and I praise you this morning. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray, amen. If everybody would stand, we're just gonna sing this last verse of the invitation. And as this song is saying, maybe you've kind of tried to shift some things in your mind as the sermon's being preached this morning. My prayer is that you would let these passages of scripture resonate in your hearts and transform you to see the church the way that God does.